there's been a movement to get orthopedic and spine to focus on single-use procedural kits. And just about every other sector in medical device does single-use instruments. Orthopedics and spine is the last frontier around that. Welcome to the Medical Device Innovators Podcast. On this podcast, we explore ways to accelerate development and get your medical devices to market faster and more efficiently. We engage with industry professionals that are changing the game and talk through the processes and challenges shaping medical device development in the current day and age with ever-shortening timelines and budgets. This episode is brought to you by System Insight Engineering, a leading innovator in leveraging computational modeling and simulation to reduce time and cost in getting medical devices to market through insightful design decisions, data to support regulatory approval, and clarifying understanding into device performance. System Insight Engineering helps you to better your bottom line so you can help more people faster. Find out more at siesimulation.com. Here's your host, Arlen Ward. Welcome to another edition of the Medical Device Innovators Podcast. With me today is Lane Hale, the CEO at ECA Medical. We're going to cover all sorts of things about what they do and why it might apply to your medical device and company and maybe a little bit about how you got into medical devices in the first place. So welcome, Lane. Thank you. Great to be here. So you are currently running ECA Medical how did you get there? What's your kind of background? Where'd you start your career? Yeah, I started my career in a kind of a different space. I was in the financial services industry. I was working at an investment bank, Goldman Sachs. I was in New York City at 9-11, you know, worked with them there and then San Francisco. And as I was working with companies and individuals, CEOs of companies, I found myself more interested in what they did and running a business and operations and development than I was in doing financial services. So kind of earlier on in my career, I decided to make the switch. I knew some surgeons well. I knew some innovators in the space. And I got an opportunity to join a gentleman named Wade Fallon, who was running a company called Medicine Lodge, which is a developer of orthopedic and spine implants and systems. And we wanted to grow that. And I helped him grow that as well as grow a manufacturing arm of that company. Been in the space for about 20 years, doing development, manufacturing, operations, sales, business development, just about everything. Primarily been in the orthopedic space? Primarily orthopedics and spine. I was in general surgery as well for a few years. Hernia mesh, exciting area for a little while. You know, robotics and others, but mainly primarily orthopedics and spine. And now you're the CEO of ECA Medical. And what does ECA Medical do? I've been CEO for five and a half years. ECA Medical has been around for about 45 years. Primarily, it has historically been a focus on single-use torque limiters for the cardio-neuro worlds. Just about every pacemaker, defibrillator, or neurostem implant in the world uses our device to finalize implanting the electrode into the header on pacemakers, defibrillators, neurostem implants. And so past seven, eight years, we've been taking that know-how and knowledge and bringing it over into the orthopedics and spine world. Because of the expansion of ASCs and outpatient centers, there's been a movement to get orthopedic and spine to focus on single-use procedural kits. And just about every other sector in medical device does single-use instruments. 
orthopedics and spines the last frontier around that. And so ECA helps companies develop and manufacture single-use instruments and then sterile packs them with their implants to go to market with. So that's what we do. You're involved in the development of the instruments that go along with their implants and then also the packaging and sterilization and everything that goes along with that. I know there's quite a bit. Yeah. There's the thing that when companies go into this area for the first time, that ones that have been in reusable metal instruments, you know, majority of their corporate lives, you know, there is the development instrument for single use. You're going to have different design constraints around trying to make it more cost effective design it for injection molding or other lower cost manufacturing methods. There's validations that you have to do, consider sterilization validations, biocompatibility, others that they don't consider as much in the metal world, in the reusable world. There's also forces and stresses and loads they didn't have to consider when they use a metal because metal, it handles all those forces and loads, but you don't now with plastic, something you've done historically with metal now you have to ask questions you haven't had to ask before. And so we walk them through that. And, you know, we have our own catalog, a portfolio of instruments that they can use, or we can develop custom ones for them and private label that whole procedural kit for them. We have the regulatory as well. We'll have CE mark on the instruments for them if they're going to go outside the U.S. And they're class one in the U.S., so we don't have to, you know, do a 510K for those instruments but we can help with the regulatory side as well. So for a lot of your clients, they're companies that have reusable metal instruments, the kind, you know, like we were talking about before the show, I guess what I envision is the tray of instruments that go into the autoclave and get reused and, you know, redistributed into the OR over and over again. And these are companies then that are trying to move into that single use procedural kit area. And of course, like you said, you have to cost of manufacturer, cost of, you know, everything, as well as the design itself becomes an issue. So more of your customers are coming from having that experience already and coming to make the shift to single-use instruments? Or what kind of percentage are devices that are being developed just to start from scratch and they're coming in as a brand new instrument that maybe is that to begin with? Yeah, you know, we've had, it's a mix. We have probably 50-50 on that. I think as they're looking at what's their legacy instrumentation out there, if they're looking to expand in the ASC market, it's hard for these companies to economically roll that out to expand a, you know, the footprint of these instruments, get them out to these smaller volume centers, but they're over so much disparate land and cover so many different centers. And so they'll look at how do we expand in ASCs? And so let's say, let's look at a legacy and transition some of these over to single use. And so we'll walk them through that, the procedure and what's really needed in the procedure. What's 80, 20 role needing the kit versus a accessory kit. And then also they'll look at all the new procedures that they're looking at. We're seeing a lot of the new procedures go straight to single use. And so they're rationalizing the legacy. What do we really want to bring over to single use? But we're seeing a large percentage of new innovation come straight to market with single use. And so they just make that transition. Sometimes it's harder to get legacy transitioned over. It's easier sometimes just to launch with a new kit, a new way of delivering. We call this, you know, just to help you understand where we see the value. 
and the industry has seen the value is we call it surgery-ready delivery systems. You think about how you deliver your implants to the OR. We see a single use as a system that is always surgery-ready. It's always on the shelf, always ready, always sterile, always pristine. You don't have instruments that are used hundreds of times and broken or corroded. You don't have to wait for them to be sterilized, which delays a lot of surgeries. You don't have instruments missing. So it's really, we see that as a delivery system that is always ready for the OR. So, And as a company comes in and approaches you, from a technical standpoint, is there something that often comes up in terms of making that mind shift from reusable to single use? Yeah, I think there's definitely some areas, the obstacles, I would say, in terms of getting people to make that mind shift. There's a few areas. So if they look at like the financial side, and we talk about, we used to always give away instruments, right? And that's the orthopedic spine world. So we give it away, but, and that denotes maybe it's free, right? And we'd say, okay, if you look at your full financial statements and understand all the cost of reusables from spares and repairs, logistics for the implant companies, the inefficiency of sales reps having to really be a logistics clerks as a big part of their job is getting these trays around and getting there. They have to get them there 24 to 48 hours at the surgery center before surgery so they can check them in and get them sterilized. There's a ton of inefficiencies. We've done value stream maps around this. So many different steps for the implant company and the sales reps. If you look at the hospital, there's been some studies done around the savings that they can have for a total knee, it's just under $1,000 savings to use single use. For a pedicle screw system, it's just under $1,500 savings. And it goes into straight tray sterilization, the cost of that, tray management, OR turnover time, and surgery site infection risks. So there's some of those triggers there that people understand and digest. We talk to CFOs and they're starting to see it and say, listen, on the balance sheet, I have to, you know, we talked to a company that just reached $100 million and they said to get my next $100 million, I have to borrow $50 million to build enough reusable instrumentation to get us there and amortize it over five years. And so they'll say, listen, I want one-way instruments that the spend moves along and grows with my revenue and tracks that better. Instead of me going to major debt to grow my business, that may be not affordable for some companies, it's just a better way to spend their money. And sometimes there's a, you know, this whole, this is the way we always done things. How do you think about a new world, right? It's like, yeah, but the old way, you didn't have the ASCs the way it is. And you've seen since post-COVID, 50 to 60% of orthopedic procedures have moved to ASCs. And some are thinking that's going to continue that way and even increase. And so how do you operate that way? And I think those are some of the major items. One of the design items is really just, you know, for them to think about designing in a single-use fashion and thinking about the procedure, the surgeon doesn't necessarily have to have all the instruments there. You know, there's some bailout instruments you can have as accessory kits or whatnot, but you can look at what's, you know, 80% of the procedures need and let's design it for that. Let's design the instrumentation in a way that's more efficient, that doesn't have all the bells and whistles if it's not needed. And so helping them walk through a design process that is more efficient is a lot of what we do in that first several months of us, or few months of us working with them. That efficiency, like you had talked about with the financial side, really cascades through the design, you know, and then like you had mentioned earlier with the injection molding, 
and other things, you've got to simplify the design of your device. You've got to get it to the point where you're really designing it for injection molding versus something that, you know, casting a machine out of metal or however it is that you're doing that. And you're starting to drive closer and closer to the limits of the materials that you're dealing with. And I've known plenty of engineers that start to get really uncomfortable as you get closer and closer to those limits, even though for others that have had experience in that field for a long time, there's still quite a ways away from instruments that would fail. But, you know, if you're coming from a world of metal instruments where everything's 10x, what it needs to be, even cutting that in half becomes a trust exercise. Yeah, it is. We find ourselves, that's a great question, a great point. You know, we do a lot of testing with them and for our implant company partners just to get them the confidence level in it. We've also done a lot of work with plastics companies and a lot of great innovations in materials that we can use to give the robustness that it didn't used to have, right? In this space, there's a lot of great engineered plastics out there. The other thing that is something we're very aware of is the perception of surgeons, right? You don't want to go into a surgery and the surgeon feel like the thing's going to break on them to your point, but the perception is also there. Even if you say the testing's there, they may not say, well, I think it's going to break. They may not want to use it. And so we've done a lot of work around finding plastics that have a little bit of weightier feel that will give them the confidence that, hey, this feels more like a reusable in my hand. You know, they're in some ways artists, right? And that perception is important to them. And obviously the design of these devices is just a small part of the overall process from beginning this conversion all the way through something that sits on the shelf. So other aspects, I imagine on the regulatory side, there's quite a bit that goes into building single-use kits as well. Yeah, there is. And, you know, I think if you look at some of the driving forces, you look at Europe, what's going on there with MDR, they're really forcing that market to go to single-use, sterile implants for sure. And that's pulling in the single-use instruments. Some hospitals won't even accept procedures or devices in there unless they're sterile with single-use instrumentation. And so that's bleeding into the regulatory in that market. It's coming over here as well. Just some of the validations that are required, the expectations and the regulations are evolving in terms of what validations, what's clean, what does clean mean with instruments now, with single-use instruments, what does sterile mean? All those definitions are evolving. And so we're very close to that. Makes it challenging sometimes because validations you did last year may not be applicable this year. And so really being close to that and understanding where it's going, where it is today, where it's going is an important part of that. So yeah, we're very close to that. We'll hold CE marks for companies if you know we can apply some of that where we have already on the shelf to their kits as well. Yeah, I imagine having the experience to do this over and over and over again gives you a position of really guiding them through the process. As a company that's maybe never done it before, you know, you've done it dozens, hundreds, whatever number of times. And as the landscape changes, you're on top of it because you've seen it with multiple clients. And really, I see an advantage there of them being guided through the process and probably as efficient as it can be, right? There's- yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that we say. It's like, listen, you don't cut your teeth on this your first time. You're going to make mistakes and sometimes big ones to delay it or maybe get into regulatory challenges. And so, you know, walking them through that and really, you know, be in their single-use arm and say, listen, we can be your single-use arm. You know, it's going to put your name on the box and on the patient label. So all that's going to be your product. But we're going to walk you through that. 
you're going to leverage a lot of the work we've already done. We put in decades of work here on this in other sectors. We brought it to the orthopedic and spine sector over the past decade and really understand some of the pitfalls that you walk into. And so we've had several customers who've tried it on their own, come back to us after having some challenges and failures there. And so you have to check all those boxes, whether it be design, whether it be the regulatory side, and then we'll go in and do all the manufacturing of it, packaging of it, and sterile. I think one of the things that go back to kind of regulatory and what we're looking at that is being talked about more is the environmental impact. You know, sometimes the first reaction to plastic is, oh, what about the environment? Isn't plastic bad? Are we trying to reduce plastic? And so we do a lot of education with our customers in the market around this. There's several studies been done that show the comparable impact of the environment of reusables to single-use instrumentation. And there's one study done by a university and a research center and hospital center out in Germany. They've shown that it's the single-use version is significantly by 75% better in terms of impact on the environment than reusables. And the biggest impact there is, you know, people don't realize how much water steam sterilization requires to clean the instrumentation and sterilize it. And so if you think about like a jacuzzi full of, you know, big enough for two or three people, that's how much water to use in each time they do that. And so the impact on wasting water and flushing all the biohazards down in the environment is significant. And so we talk a lot about that. We're also developing a system where this can be recycled, both here in the U.S. as well as in Europe. And there's a better platform for recycling as well. Plastics, the limited amount of metal that we'll be using, as well as the trays that they're used. All that can be recycled and repurposed in other industries. Which definitely brings me to a question about the packaging itself. So often overlooked, I think, from a device design standpoint, what are some of the packaging challenges that the company is going to be aware of as they transition to single-use kits? Yeah, I think you have to look at it in different areas. So one is trying to optimize the size as best you can as shelf space is always premium in OR. So looking at how do we optimize that and be creative in terms of putting you know these instruments together in a sterile kit, whether it's in a pouch or in a tray, how do you optimize that? You want to go in and really understand what types of instruments need to go in what type of packaging. And so, you know, your distribution studies are going to be very important and really understanding early on what direction you need to go with various different types of instruments. Some will just go pouches, which is great, but that also can lead to some failures in distribution validation. That's a big part of that. One of the things that's been a challenge a little bit in the industry has been the availability of Tyvek itself and PETG materials. These materials are used in various different industries and there isn't a huge, significant supply of that. So lead times can get larger. And so we're looking at other materials that can be used as well to improve lead times. And so as you think about that part of it and the lead times, you know, we encourage our customers to get better and better at their forecasting so we can get those orders and get that material ordered as early as possible. Because single-use behaves like an implant, you need to have a new kit every time you do a procedure. And so on the packaging side, that's one area that's been a challenge of, recent, of late. And I think that'll improve over time, but it's certainly, you know, food industry and other industries that are significant volume use very similar materials and it's not an unlimited supply out there. 
So if I'm a company that has a new device or a new implant, and this is a direction we want to go, when is a good time for me to reach out to you and ECA? And what can I expect from that process? Yeah, so we would encourage you, you know, the company to get us involved as early as possible as you consider your development cycle, getting us involved so we can collaborate on the right approach to the instruments. Don't wait too long for that to happen because even though you think your designs are frozen, oftentimes when you transition those into single use and you get molding involved and some of the questions we'll ask when we want to test, it may become a critical path item if we're not careful. And so we say, as soon as you're thinking about the project, you know, let's start talking about what that looks like. And the, our approach to this is really, you know, oftentimes we have a four phase kind of development cycle here from design freeze to product launch, but we'll also oftentimes start with what we call a phase zero, even pre-design freezes. Let's scope this out with you. Let's talk to your supply chain. Let's talk to your sales reps. Let's talk to your marketing teams and really get their feedback. You know, they're surgeons. We do labs with surgeons. We talk to them, their scrub techs, to make sure that we have the right product for them and the sales and marketing team is going to like it as they transition over to a different way of doing things a surgery-ready delivery system. And so we'll start there and start looking at what are the things that we're going to have concerns with loads and forces. So we might do an FEA analysis on stresses and loads to make sure you're going to have enough design freedom there and safety factor. And then we'll go through, if there's sizing issues, a lot of different sizes, we'll talk about what's your bell curve. Let's look at your bell curve of demand. Let's understand how do we look at multiple projects at a time and how do we optimize it so we can design, you know, instruments that can be used in multiple of their kits, multiple kits and not increase the cost and just optimize what we're doing for you. We have a, you know, a lot of different steps to go through that with them, but it's really trying to take that off their plate and help them walk through that process to get to design freeze. Not only looking at that one project, but over multiple projects or portfolios, procedures and try to make it as unified and look like their instruments and their brand as best as we can. And once it's launched, do you do the manufacturing as well? Yeah. And we do all the manufacturing. Yep. So we'll have all the supply ready for them and we'll do all the from launch to reorders. So it's all the way through the whole process. We call it one-stop shop. You know, it's like, we'll do that whole thing for you. And so these companies can focus on implants and selling implants and selling these kits. So. Does anyone come to mind as far as an example of a company that has made this transition, that it's made a significant impact on their business? You know, we certainly have NDAs. And so I think not going into specific customers, but I would say if you look at the market right now and just what's going on out there in orthopedics, you'll see companies large and small moving this way. Striker certainly one, you'll see they've been out there with even a RFID platform out there to track not only sterile instruments, but they're sterile implants. And there's other technologies that looks at the delivery side and the management of these in the ASC space. But there's, you'll see over the next you know, year or so, several companies doing this and the impact it's having on their efficiency of their sales reps, being able to focus on spending time with their customers and not worrying about, you know, is the instrumentation going to be there? Do I have to go get it? You know, can you overnight that for me and really looking at that value they bring to the surgeons? But yeah, no, it's definitely making an impact on their business as well as many of the other customers we work with. 
So how do I get a hold of you if I want to continue this conversation? Yeah. So, you know, our website, ecamedical.com is certainly a resource and has our contact information on there. We would love to talk to anyone that's ready or not ready yet and just have questions and want to understand what the steps are, what the opportunity is, where the risks and what they should be thinking about as they move forward into the space. Okay. Yeah. And we'll definitely include a link to the company website in the show notes. So thank you very much for coming on today. You know, this is definitely a part of medical device development and an area of innovation that I think gets overlooked often, you know, and especially the different stages that go into that, right? You know, the trends from metal instruments to single use sounds like it's just a product development effort, but it really is everything all the way out through sterilization and packaging. And like you mentioned, the logistics side of it changes too. And for, it frees the salespeople up to do the selling rather than, you know, carting around spares and repairs. Yeah, exactly. It's a organizational business strategy that companies have to think through and has major opportunities for improvement. All right. Thank you very much for coming on, Lane. And I'm sure that if I hear from anybody, I'll send them your way. Thanks, Erlen. Great to talk to you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Medical Device Innovators Podcast, powered by System Insight Engineering. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by System Insight Engineering, a leading innovator in leveraging computational modeling and simulation to reduce time and cost in getting medical devices to market through insightful design decisions, dots to support regulatory approval and clarifying understanding into device performance. System Insight Engineering helps you to better your bottom line so you can help more people faster. Find out more at siesimulation.com.